Praise the Lord. Our text scripture is Psalm chapter 40. So you can turn there. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Hallelujah. So Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And we're on part 2 of our Waiting Patiently for God series. Amen? I know we don't like to wait. Amen? But sometimes we got to do it. Everybody there? All right. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, for the awesome privilege once again of coming to partake of your word. And we just thank you, Lord, that it would penetrate our minds, travel down to our hearts, Father, and the core of our being. And, Father, it would start to govern our perceptions, our attitude, our body language, our speech, every action associated with our lives. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory, Father, that although we may be going through trials and tribulations right now, that through your word, Father, you would encourage us, you would motivate us, you would give us wisdom from on high on how to handle various situations, Lord. And most of all, that we would exemplify your nature as we would interact with people. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for how you would give us strength through your word, that none of us would leave out the same way we came in. And also, Father, that we would continue to be a witness unto your people as well as those who are unsaved. And we just thank you and praise you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We started talking about waiting patiently for God last week. And first we looked at how do we handle adversity. And some of the things that we examined were acting impulsively, anxiously, or in haste. Then we looked at prayerfully seeking God's intervention. Then we went to the next topic, which is how do you wait? And we looked at possibly having the attitude of being fearful of the situation of getting worse and how we should handle it. We looked at being fearful of losing opportunities in relationships. And we saw that if God opens the door, no man can shut it. And in the other way around, if God shuts the door, you need to stop wasting your time trying to open it. Amen. So this week, we're going to continue on. We're still under the subtopic of how do you wait? And we're going into... The third aspect that the Lord showed to me, which is murmuring against God. Amen? You might choose to handle adversity and trials and tribulations when you're supposed to be waiting by murmuring against God. So the first thing we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Amen? All right, and it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. That word tempted, contrary to how we usually think of it, it seems kind of strange to say in verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ. 
Because Christ, as we know, is sinless. So that word tempt right there is not tempt as in I'm seducing you to sin. What it actually means in the underlying Greek here is to test thoroughly. In other words, let us not test Jesus' patience thoroughly by our attitudes, by our murmuring, by our actions, by our tantrums, by all our negative behavior as going through the process of waiting for God to intervene on our circumstances. Amen? God's saying, basically, do not tempt me, do not tempt Jesus Christ, do not test me thoroughly with the way that you're conducting yourself. Now, one of the things that I noticed actually last night that I didn't catch when I first wrote this is that all of them were baptized under Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual meat and did drink the same spiritual drink. Amen? So what that showed me is that everybody basically was nourished and baptized and provided the same kind of spiritual insight on how to conduct their lives. Amen? But even though all of them were baptized unto Moses, all of them received the same spiritual milk, meat, and drink, it says that many of them chose, instead of trusting in God and walking in faith and speaking in faith, many of them chose to murmur and complain against God. So what that shows us is that All of us might receive the same word of God, but it's up to you as an individual how you handle adversity. One person might say that I'm going to go through all this trial and tribulation. I'm never going to complain. I'm never going to get discouraged. I'm never going to tempt Christ by murmuring, complaining, or testing him thoroughly. Then somebody else might hear the same word, and they're just moaning and groaning throughout the entire process. Amen? So it's up to you how you handle adversity. You can't say that, well, you just don't understand. Well, if you've received the same word of God that somebody else got from the preacher or from the Bible as you're reading it, you have the same capability to walk in strength, to walk in confidence, and to proclaim faith to Jesus Christ throughout the entire situation. So the only person, if you're murmuring and complaining against God, to blame is you and nobody else. Amen? And that's why we can't basically live on the legacy of our parents, our grandmother, all these different people. Each one of us has to make our own step of faith to say, I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and after that, I choose to stand firm on his word as I'm going through trials and tribulations. Your parents can guide you, they can motivate you, they can pray for you, they can point you in the right direction, but nobody can make you stand firm on God and his promises but yourself. And to go a step further, really, we can't put the onus on them anyway, because what if every time they see you, you walk around and you're smiling, they say, oh, I know you're still going through that problem, how you doing? And you say, oh, everything's fine, and you're just smiling and everything, but inside your head, God didn't come through yet, amen? So we can put on a show with the best of them, amen, and proclaim faith, but only you know in your heart of hearts internally In that which is unseen, whether you are standing firm upon the rock of Jesus Christ or you're choosing to have a murmuring and complaining attitude, even if murmuring and complaining is not being ejected (laughs) out of your mouth. Amen? Now, one of the things that I saw here as well is not only did it say that they were all baptized under the same spiritual meat and drink or fed the same spiritual meat and drink and fed under Moses, but it actually said that... They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus Christ had not come to the earth in the flesh, it says that not only were they fed spiritual meat and drink, but it actually says they drank of the rock that was to follow. In other words, the people were not only being fed in terms of how to handle your situations today, they were actually being prepared for what was to come in the future from God. And that's the same thing with a lot of us. We're going through various things. We're trying to wait patiently on God. We're being recipients of the word of God to not only handle our current situations, but if you really look at it, if you ingest the word of God, process it, meditate upon it, and apply it, and allow it to govern your perceptions, and not only prepare you for what you're going through right now, but it should also lay the foundation of what you can stand firm on for your future. Amen? So we're not only just getting the word of God for now, but it also equips us for future trials and tribulations. But like I said, it's up to us how we handle it. The people who preceded us and murmured against God failed in their test of faith. And as I was looking at this, 
I was examining some of the ways that they failed. One of the things that came to mind, actually, I'll put a little chart. Some of the ways in which they failed prior to our time is that we see examples like in Luke 17.32 where it says that Lot's wife looked back. And when she was looking back, she was basically focusing on the pleasures of the place she left, which we know was Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen? So she was looking back on her past life and saying, oh, things were greener back then, or I regret the fact that I have to leave this place, even though there's been a warning issue of death and destruction. I'm still looking back and pining for the things that are in the past. Another way in which people murmur against God, and we see that it's not just your mouth, but it's in your attitude, is that the children of Israel, in Exodus chapter 16, 1 through 7, it talks about them pining for the sustenance of Egypt. Now, God was blessing them with manna every day, and they were like, we want the food, the meat, the drink that we had back in Egypt. Well, back in Egypt, they also whipping that natural born behind. Amen? Putting a whip on your back, had you out in the hot sun. They forgot all about that because they're too busy talking about we ate better, or in other words, we ate exactly what we wanted to eat back then. But how can you get better than what God is providing you in terms of your nourishment? So they were pining for Egypt's sustenance. The next thing we see in Numbers chapter 14 and 2, it talks about the people of Israel, the children of Israel, murmuring against leadership. Well, who are you, Moses, to be in charge of all these people? Then it goes a little further in the same chapter, Numbers 14, 26 and 17, it says they went from murmuring against Moses being a leader to murmuring against God himself. And then finally, in Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 and 10, that's when we see the full rebellion, the mutiny, and the rebellion that was stirred up by Korah. And at that point, God got to the point that, God's laughing. God got to the point where he said, oh, okay, it's time to deal with this. You murmured against the food I provided you. You murmured against the leadership I placed in front of you. You murmured against me. And now you've come out in an act of open rebellion, stirring up the people, trying to get them to worship false gods, making idols and golden calves. So God literally opened up the ground and he swallowed the people. So these are the types of things that can occur when you allow yourself to have a mindset in which you're going to murmur and complain against God. Now, on the other side of the coin... We have a choice that instead of murmuring and complaining against God, we can choose to trust in God. So the first thing I want to look at is Psalm 118, verse 6. And it says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So there are going to be times where you're going through trials and tribulations. You're praying. You're seeking God for answers or resolutions to your problems. And you don't see anything in sight. You're praying and you feel like God hasn't given you an answer yet or given you a clear choice of which way I need to go. So you're sitting there kind of like in a spiritual fork in a road as do I go to the left or do I go right? And sometimes even that waiting process, you're like, well, I'm kind of scared that I'm going to go down the wrong place and the wrong way and make things worse. So as you're waiting there, sometimes concerned about not only am I going the wrong direction, but these people are coming against me and if I wait too long... They're going to entrap me. They're going to undermine me. They're going to harm me. So this verse of Scripture shows us that no matter how long we may have to wait, no matter how patient we might have to be, we need to keep in mind that the Lord himself is on our side. Everybody here on the earth might be in opposition against you, specifically undermining you, speaking against you, deliberately doing things to hinder you, to entrap you, or to overcome you. But if God is on your side, as we see here, you have nothing to fear because what can a man do to you if God is blocking off their advances? What can a man do to you if God says, I am sovereignly protecting you, I'm opening up this door, and I'm going to move you from here to there? There's absolutely nothing that man can do when God himself says, I'm intervening on your situation. So as we see at the end of this, it says, what can man do to me? What can you possibly do? Because to get to you, if God is saying, I've dictated and I've deemed that I'm going to do this in your life, what can they do to stop you unless they can beat God and get to you? Amen? If God's saying this is for you, they can't block it unless they get around him first. So thank God. 
If we have that mindset, then we can keep ourselves surrounded in his perceptions and in his protection, and we don't have to fear anything that people are doing, even though for a small season it might seem that they're getting the victory in a certain situation. Now, we see here also another aspect of trusting God in Philippians 4, 4, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So it shows us not only should we trust in God, not fear man, and realize that nobody can harm us if God has his sovereign hand over us, but then it tells us also to take a step further that as you're in your process of waiting and trusting in God, you should have the mindset that I'm rejoicing in him. We already talked about earlier, praise him in advance, and how there might be a desert place there in front of you, barren, dark, dank, dusty, but yet, if you can see an oasis on horizon, you can see a forest where there are no seedlings, and you can start to praise God and rejoice in him, God can take that seed of faith and praise that you put out there, and he can cause it to germinate and grow and produce an abundant harvest that will not only sustain you for now, but also sustain you for your future. Amen? Hallelujah. So that's why you need to rejoice in the Lord always. And as we see here, do it twice. Rejoice in them once. And again, I say rejoice. So in the word of God, one of the things they teach about biblical exegesis is when God uses a word or phrase in duplicate, that means he's putting an emphasis on that. This is what you really need to do. In some cases, he'll put a double word of emphasis as, whoa, don't do it. But in this case, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's putting a double emphasis that this is what you need to do to help you stand firm in my word, but also plow and seed your harvest for your future. So God has given us a double emphasis that we need to have a mindset of rejoicing. Now, I already showed you a chart on the murmurers and complainers. And what you've got to realize about them is that those people not only failed in terms of their murmuring and complaining, but they basically aborted their destiny because of their attitudes. Now we're going to look at the other side of the coin and compare the impatient and the murmurers and complainers against people that stood firm on their faith. First, I want to look at Abram or Abraham. Amen? And we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, Abram, being fearful of what was going to happen to him, because of Sarah being so beautiful, he thought that she's going to be snatched up by the king and he's going to get executed. So he said, oh, that's not my wife, that's my half-sister. So he lied. In other words, he failed a test of faith. But even in that test of faith, we don't see anything in that passage of Scripture that shows that he murmured and complained against God. God, why did you get me in a place here where this guy is after my wife? You're not being faithful to me. Abram, according to the word of God there, never murmured and complained. As we see here, even though he may have failed in terms of his faith, because he still moved and grew and allowed himself to be refined and cultivated in that area, he eventually got to the point where in Genesis 17, 1-7, he was renamed from Abram, which means prince, to Abraham, which means Father of many nations, amen, or high father. So God, and that's awesome about that, just look at that, Abram, Abraham. God's name is I am. I am that I am. He told Moses, God attached I am to the end of Abram. Abram, it's almost like Abram I am. Abram I am, Abraham, amen. So God put his name on the end of Abram and basically made him a father and a prince to now a father of many nations. So even though he failed in terms of his actions and his faith, he continued to move and grow in God, and he graduated to be not only the father of many nations, but a father of our spiritual faith, and he was renamed and had a covenant established with God. We see also David in Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 27, we see that that's where he saw Bathsheba bathing, and he ended up taking her in, and then he slept with her, he got her pregnant, he basically tried to get Uriah, her husband, to come in and sleep with her, and he wouldn't do it because they were in a place of warfare, and eventually it got to the point where hubby was about to see wife pregnant, and like, I know I didn't do it. So since it was about to be exposed, David set the stage where they would go out in the battlefield, everybody would retreat, and let him get killed. So David failed in terms of... Um, lust and 
a form of greed and selfishness, desiring somebody else's wife. And we see that even though he failed, we don't see in the passage of scriptures, even before he went to the throne where he was being chased by Saul, we don't see him being a person that murmured and complained. And the end result of David's life is that he went from somebody that initially failed to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, where it talks about an everlasting kingdom being established upon the throne of David. Amen? Hallelujah. So the, the throne of Jesus Christ actually goes through the throne of David in terms of lineage. Now, finally, we see in the New Testament, Saul slash Paul, because he was renamed, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, we see him as an early persecutor of the church. I mean, this guy was getting people stoned, beaten, other forms of execution, including Stephen. Paul was behind all that stuff writing letters to get people killed because they were preaching what he saw as a heretic religion, Jesus himself had to step in, knock him down, blind him, and teach him that he was the true and only way to salvation. So Paul was turned around. Saul was renamed to Paul. And we see in Romans chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, and then Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14, that he went from being called to appointing to eventually fulfilling his destiny as an apostle of Christ. Amen? So what that shows us is that as we're walking around on a daily basis, it is crucial that we might fall, we might suffer, but the ones who continue to trust and praise God without murmuring and complaining will achieve their destiny in God, while the ones who succumb to impatience and disbelief fail to ever achieve it. So it's important that we have a mindset, yes, you can fail, but don't join the murmuring, complaining crowd because that will actually abort your destiny in God if you never repent of it. And I think I said it last week, God's not stupid, (laughs) amen? If you're just giving lip service to say you praise the Lord, but in your attitude and you're murmuring outside of, of being around people that you should say the right stuff to, or you're going around and you're saying things that, evoke a sense of unbelief, God knows whether or not you're really talking about him and murmuring and complaining. So he is not full. So it's really up to us. Amen. And when you murmur and complain, you've got to realize that you're indirectly questioning, criticize, or sometimes even challenging what God is doing in your life. So we have to be very careful about that, that we don't mess ourselves up. Now, that was basically the section that we were talking about in terms of how do you wait for God? And now, the next thing the Lord showed me is that we got to be careful that we don't let our emotions rule us. Amen? Do not let your emotions rule you as you're dealing with trials and tribulations. So that's the next thing. And one of the things the Lord really showed me about that is that emotions are highly overrated. They are highly overrated. <laughs> and your emotions are more likely to cause you problems than if you operate with your rational mind. And I'm not telling us to walk around on a daily basis and be robots with no feelings and everything like that. What I'm saying is we're all going to have various feelings about different situations. But even though you may feel a certain way, don't allow your feelings to govern how you walk in faith with God and don't let them dictate the actions that you commit to in order to resolve your problems. We have to be in a place that despite our emotions, we still stand firm on God and we trust him. And if we're struggling with our emotions, ask God to help us deal with them. But don't let your emotions take you out and make situations worse than they already are. And see, when you really look at the various things that you look at on a daily basis, how many times has God or even common sense warned you of things or reveal something to you to protect you from sin or various obstacles only for us to get overwhelmed by our emotions and, and get entrapped anyway. I mean, how many times have we been aware of something? Like I said, God's revealed it to you through a dream, through prayer, through his word. Or, like I said, common sense tells you all the flags are there, but yet because of your emotions, you still go out and get yourself messed up in a situation. So we have to basically learn how to govern these things. Like I said, you're never going to stop having them, but don't let them dictate to you. Don't let them control you, and don't let them instill a sense of fear. And most of all, don't let them cause you to deviate from what God has for your life. Now, in Proverbs chapter 25, 28, 
we actually see one passage relating to our emotions. Amen? Proverbs 25, 28. And it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Wow. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And what you have to realize is that at the time that they wrote this, this was, was a time of kingdoms and invading armies and thugs and things like that. So this was written from the perspective that I'm in a city, people might come in to try to ravage our village, our town, steal our wealth, overthrow our government. So common sense and wisdom at the time would dictate that if you have a city you want to protect it, you have to wall it in. Amen? You have to have a fortress. Sometimes you had to have a moat. And you had to surround it with enough things to protect other people from coming in and stealing all of your stuff or killing your people. So here we see that it's talking about our emotions, our spirits, in terms of being walled in. God says that we need to have a fortress of protection surrounding ourselves. Because if we don't, it says that if you don't control yourself and have rule over your own spirit or control over your own spirit, it says it's the same as if you were a city that knew that armies were coming in to invade, but you did nothing to protect yourself from that attack. So God says if you don't govern yourself, you don't have self-control, that basically the enemy could come in, people could come in, everybody can attack you on every side, from the front, head on, where somebody looks you in the eye and says, boom, 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 I don't like you, this or that. Or they can come in and sucker punch you, hit you from behind and ambush you. But you're not protected at all if you choose not to exercise self-control. Now, like I said, God warns us that we are defenseless from the enemy. But one of the things we see here is that he that have no rule over his own spirit. It doesn't say he that doesn't let the Holy Spirit rule his spirit. It's like a city without walls. It says he didn't have no rule over his own spirit. So if God allowed us to have this passage of scripture to give us wisdom, and he says, if you don't have rule of your own spirit, you're like a city without walls, that means that we have the capacity, whether we like it or not, to be able to govern ourselves. Amen? So why would God say that if he doesn't feel you have the capability to do it? So therefore, if he's telling us to have self-control, we have to have the onus on ourselves. We have to say that even though I feel a certain way, I'm going to exercise restraint. I'm going to have self-control. I'm not going to let myself flip out, freak out, get angry, get belligerent, and go out and do something that can make my situation worse. Even though I might be hurting or angry by what has happened, instead of me running out on my emotions, instead, I'm going to take a step, step back, count to ten, Take a deep breath, do whatever I need to do, yell out in the backyard or in the basement, pray, and I'm going to handle this according to what God wants me to do as opposed to what I feel like doing. you got to realize, failure to exercise restraint means that all of our protection is gone, and not only are you going out on your flesh and possibly making something worse, but once again, you've taken down the barrier of protection, and the enemy can come in and attack you as well. Amen? So it's a twofold way of harming yourself. You're being self-destructive in terms of what you're doing, but also, even if you sit back firm, you've dropped your wall of protection, and the enemy is allowed to come through because you're not exercising restraint. Amen? So in other words, the enemy can assault you on multiple fronts, whereas you exercise spiritual self-control, you're blocked in, you're fortified. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, 
for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. So we see here, it talks about us going to the house of God. It says, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. What is the sacrifice of fools? You acting up, you running your mouth, you coming into the house of God without an attitude that you want to learn and grow. And you might have your own agenda or I'm believing God for this and I ain't trying to hear all the other stuff. I got what I want to get and this is how I'm going to go about it. Amen. He said that's basically the sacrifice of fools that instead of you being humble and submissive to the spirit of God and what he wants for your life. Instead, you have your own agenda. You have a mindset of what you think you deserve or what you have to have. And basically you haven't submitted yourself over to him. So he's saying that even though you might put your money in the basket because you haven't really given him what he wants, which is your obedience and your submission, you're only giving him the sacrifice of fools by throwing in money that really doesn't mean anything to him in comparison to having your heart and your obedience to what he wants. And that's why it talks about, let's give him the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving praise unto his name. And that's why it talks about obedience is greater than sacrifice. Yes, God wants you to put finances into the storehouse to keep the church going and to be able to bless different people that have needs. But even more than the money, God says, give me the sacrifice of yourself. Amen? Hallelujah. So he wants that to be the primary thing that you do. And then as we see here, Don't allow yourself to be just mouthing off and running off at the mouth. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And haven't prayed to God and said, is this what you want from me? And just going around and just having such a multitude of words coming out of your mouth that you end up having a reputation that people don't even take you serious. Amen. You ever know people like that? That they just run their mouth. And the thing is, when people are sitting there, everybody's like, "Mm mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. And they're just nodding their heads and smiling. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. As soon as they leave, they're like, boy, that, that was just, just, first thing, got no sense. <laughs> Amen. That's why we got, if you ain't got something good to say, you're not going to be knowledgeable and stuff. You need to watch where you're spewing your words. We see here, in the multitude of your words, you might think in your own eyes that you're wise, but other people will think that you're foolish because you're just talking nonsense. Or you're talking stuff that people know you're not going to do. And see, one of the things that came to mind as I read this passage of Scripture, especially as it relates to vows, we see here that even though you might vow something to God, oh, God, you bail me out of the situation. This time, I'm going to be at church every week. I mean, how many times have we heard that? Lord, if you deliver me from this situation, I put myself in, God, I'm I'm going to do this. God, you know, I'm in the hospital now because my blood pressure has shot up to 7,000 and I almost had a heart attack and I was all this and that. And, and Lord, you get me out of here. I'm going to eat right and exercise. And within a, and they go straight home. They got pig feet and ribs and coll- <laughs> salted up collard greens. Amen. So a lot of people will make promises to God and say, if you bail me out this time, I'll fill in the blank. But how many people follow through with their promising God? See, you might promise a thing and forget about it, but God has put that thing on record. And sometimes you're sitting there praying, God, I see an opportunity here. I see an opportunity there. Here and there and everywhere. And it always seems that people are passing me by or I'm missing out. Or, and, and why didn't I get this God? And God's sitting there like, because you vowed me that and you're supposed to do this. You didn't do that. I'll let you go. Then you vowed this, you didn't do that, and I let you go. Oh, you vowed this, and I let you, no, I'm not letting you go this time. And I'm blocking you and other stuff until you start to fulfill the stuff that you promised to me. Amen? Because see, you vowed to God and you're not doing it. God, first of all, how can God be in agreement with you when he's in opposition to the father of lies? When you vow and you don't do it, you're lying. And I know sometimes that in your heart of hearts, you're really trying to do something and something happens. And because of that, you're una- unable to do it. 
So in that case, of course, God will understand that circumstances have arisen where you are unable to fulfill the vow. But it's quite another thing between not being able to fulfill and desiring to do it and making a vow to God, which at the time you knew, I really ain't going to do it, but Lord, please bail me out. Or vowing something to God, having the capability of doing it and refusing to do it and choose like, oh, I'll sweep that under the rug. God knew I wasn't really going to do that or... God's not really worried about it. No, God is <laughs> worried about that. God believes and honors vows. God responded not only to Hannah vowing that if you give, give me a son, I'll dedicate his life over to you and bring him back to this temple. But if you look at that passage of scripture, Elkanah, her husband, said, hey, if you honor the, the prayer of my wife, I will give this to the temple. And Elkanah, it talks about after a year when the child was weaned, it says that Elkanah went up to the temple and paid his vow. So God takes vows seriously. So in other words, as the expression goes out here in the world, don't write a check with your mouth that your butt can't cash. I'm telling you, there's probably a lot of people out here. God, if you'll give me this, I'm going to do that. And here they are years later, could have fulfilled that vow. And sometimes it's the lightest of things. If you do this, God, I'll be at church every week from now on. And they out fishing. And b-balling or sleeping in because they had a rough week. Well, what if God had a rough week when you're supposed to get up for working and on the way to work got in an accident and you could have been dead and God's hand blocked the impact of that auto accident so that instead of you dying, there was just some bumps in your car. What if God decided that, oh, I vowed to protect you. I vowed to love you. I vowed to grace you. I vowed to do this. And I, dev- uh, I vowed to be the sovereign protector of your life. But you know what? I'm feeling a little tired of that. So you know what? I think I'll sleep in. And instead of that accident being blocked, so all your car is, is banged up, instead you die because God said, I didn't feel like fulfilling my vow to you today. Oh, all of a sudden, vows are very serious, aren't they? Amen? So if we expect God to fulfill his vows to us whenever we can, if you're really putting it, see, it's one thing to say, oh, God, well, if this happens, I'd like to do this, Lord. I'd really like to do this for your kingdom. But it's quite another thing to say, God, if you give me that, I'm going to do that. And see, I've been there, amen? (laughs) I've been there where I have made vows, amen? Some of the projects, we were... Going through this transition of being self-employed, there's times that I made vows. I said, Lord, you give me this project, I'm taking X dollars towards that. And boom, got the project. And as soon as that deposit check came in, the enemy's in the ear. Well, I know you made the vow, but look at all these bills that are stacked up. I said, you know what, before I can even hear you, writing that check, pulling out that cash, I'm paying on that thing that I promised because if it hadn't been for, for God honoring my vow, I wouldn't have this in the same in, in the first place. So even though this stuff is stacked up, amen, the same way he honored my vow to give me this, if I honor this, God will take care of the stuff that's still left after I, do, I, I distribute my vow and then handle the rest of it's left over, amen? So we got to trust God. So like I said, don't write a check with your mouth. Especially when it's a vow to God. You'd be better off lying to people. Man, if you do the wimpy thing. If you give me a hamburger today, I'll gladly pay you on Tuesday. Remember wimpy used to say that in Popeye? I don't think he ever paid either. <laughs> or go to somebody, oh, if you lend me $100, I'll gladly repay you a week from now. You'd be better off lying to them than to lie to God. Amen. Because, see, they might not be able to get you. They might be ringing your phone, driving by your house, and you have a way to duck and dodge and pull down the curtains and pretend you're not home. But you know what? No matter what you do, (laughs) when you make that vow to God and you don't honor it, you can't hide. And like I said, that might be why when you say, God, you give me this, and it doesn't come through, God might have said, you know, I had enough of you promising that if I do my part, you will do your part. No, it's time for you to step up and, admit, and make an account for the stuff that you've promised me and start to fulfill it. Amen? Hallelujah. So, so in terms of how this relates to emotions is that sometimes as we're waiting patiently on God, 
our emotions get into the place and we want to say, God, if you do this, I'll do that. If you're going to present that to God, what I'm saying is make sure you honor it. Don't walk away or renege on your promise because at some point God might say, you know, I'm not going to bail you out this time. I'm not going to give you that blessing because you've been playing around, you've been lying, you've been reneging on the vows that you presented before me. So in other words, your current roadblock in terms of waiting patiently on God might be the fact that you reneged on your vows in the past. You might have to go back and repent to God and say, I'm sorry that I didn't honor my vows. And you know, I'm going to take strides right now to honor them before you. I'm going to start to make moves in faith and start to commit to the things that I have promised you, Lord. And then he may open up some of the doors that he himself may have blocked because you have reneged on the promises of the past. Now, the next thing I want to look at in terms of emotions is Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to look at verses 36 through 42. Matthew 26, 36 through 42. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not wait? I'm sorry. Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Now, there's some key words in this in terms of uh, our emotions and handling various situations. We see here that Jesus was prayerful and he tried to get people to be in agreement with him in terms of prayer as he was contemplating his coming, basically torture and execution. He knew it was coming. And we see here that he said several things in this passage of Scripture. The first thing he said in verse 38 is that his soul is, is exceeding sorrowful. That word sorrowful means to be in a state of grief. Wow, in a, in a, in a state of grief. Then he talked about being very heavy. And that phrase, very heavy, means to be in distress of the mind. And then it talks about, he talked about being exceeding sorrowful. It means grieved all around or intensely sad. So imagine, Jesus here dealing with his impending torture and execution. Knowing that it's on the horizon, he has to do it. Even praying and saying, God, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. But then yielding to God's desire and saying, if it has to happen, your will be done. I'll go ahead and do it. Amen. We see here that even as he's pondering it, it talks about him being in a state of grief, in distress of mind, and grieved all around. So in other words, he was surrounded by these feelings. He was dealing with a sense of overwhelming dread about what was to occur, but we see that despite the fact that he knew full well what was going to occur, that he still prayed for strength and he fulfilled the will of his heavenly Father. And what that shows us, though, is that even though God sympathizes with our weaknesses, pain, and other emotional issues, and he'll provide us the strength that we need, that we still need to proceed with fulfilling the will of our Heavenly Father. And we, you have to realize that even though these things will occur in our life, these are temporary issues in comparison to his eternal purposes and our destiny. See, we have to learn to develop enough strength and stamina spiritually that we can handle our emotions properly while still fulfilling God's will. Because one of the things he, he showed me is that 
you may not know what the stakes are as it relates to your obedience despite your emotions as opposed to run away, running away and being anxious and not fulfilling the will of the Father. Amen? You may not know what the stakes are. A lot of times we look at a small thing. Well, if I do this in obedience to God, this will be the outcome. Well, if I run away, I'll repent later. But, hey, I'm only affecting me, so I'm not really hurting anybody. But as I was praying about this and looking at this, God took me over to Romans chapter 15, verse 19. And in that passage, you don't have to go there, but in that passage of Scripture, Paul stated that he had preached roundabout from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Amen? This is something that Paul himself said. I preach roundabout from Jerusalem to, to Illyricum. And by roundabout, he's basically saying that he didn't travel in a straight line from Jerusalem to Illyricum. As he was venturing from one destination to the next, he also ventured into the neighboring areas on foot, on horseback, on ship. And see, even if he had gone directly to Illyricum, that would have been 1,400 miles. But he went roundabout. So, people, so some people estimate during those missionary journeys that he embarked on that he went anywhere from 1,300 to possibly as many as 13,000 square miles during his ministry. Now imagine, that's a time of no planes, trains, or automobiles. And yet, that's the kind of impact. And one of the things that, as I did further research, one of the things he showed me really blew my mind. I was like, he went from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Do you realize that Illyricum is in what we will refer to as Bosnia? This guy went from Israel to the, the former Soviet Union. Isn't that Soviet Union? Yeah, I'm like, wow. He went from Israel basically to the former Soviet Union with no plane. Yeah, that just, just blows your mind. So just think, Paul... Run out of town. Some people, that would have been enough to say, I'm done. I'm done with this preacher stuff. I'm done, dude. <laughs> then he got get stoned. So that's enough to say, all right, well, they done went from chasing me out of town to now they put some bruises on the body trying to kill me. I'm done. I love you, Jesus, but I'm going to go and worship at the early church every week. I'm going to be a good old little Christian saint, but I ain't getting in the mix with all that drama because they hurting people. Amen. But Paul kept going. Then he gets out on the ship. The boat gets shipwrecked. He could have drowned at sea or died when it crashed against the shore. But yet, Paul refused to quit. So even though he could have quit at each stage of the way and the anxiety and difficulty and threats and things that he experienced, because he continued to persevere despite how he felt, here we are generations later reading his writings. Amen? So you might think that, oh, if I, if I divert course from God because I'm afraid or I'm anxious or people are coming against me or I just don't feel like it or I, I'm so overwhelmed that I, I just can't do this. You don't know whether or not what you're doing affects just you or it could be people in 2050, if Jesus don't return, that might be reading your writings. Amen? Beneficiaries of your impact upon an unsaved family that now... You know, in 2050, they've got multiple generations of people that got saved and their kids got saved and their kids got saved. You don't know what the impact might be based upon whether you submit to your emotions and don't do what God wants you to do versus I feel a certain way, Lord, help me, strengthen me, but I'm going to go out in faith and do what you told me to do regardless of how I'm feeling. Amen. You just don't know what the impact might be because Paul is not alone. In terms of impact, we may not have the same kind of type of scale and probably won't. Amen. However, there's still ways in which you might impact people. I mean, look at me. I'm a guy in New Jersey. I've, through the Internet, reached the entire planet. I've had people on every continent except maybe Antarctica contact me saying that my teachings or my sermons have impacted their lives. I mean, I've had multiple pastors and, and different people. Can you send me materials? Can my church come up under your church? Brother, can you come here? So here I am in New Jersey, but I'm hitting the planet. And I don't know what they're doing. They might be printing a, a teaching off the Internet. Maybe they never even responded to me. Just because I did the small thing here of making a website and putting material on it, I don't know how many people might be, they might be in a home cell group right now 
with printouts of my teachings. Amen? So you don't know what the impact might be. And I've had people say, oh, well, you can't do it to that. Oh, radio's a waste of your time. It's too expensive. Oh, the Internet doesn't reach people. or oh, You're not really having an audience or making an impact. But you don't know what your, your impact might be uh, if you listen to people versus listen to what God is telling you to do. Amen? So like I said, our emotions, they're good in a certain sense, but they can also be crippling if we let them control us and make us divert from what God has for our lives. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, now, an interesting thing. Let me see. What, let me see what the time is. You know what? I'm going to stop there today. Amen? Because I'm going to hit a new section where we're talking about binding yourself to God. Amen? So what I'm going to say is, what I will say as, as a preface to next week is that in our text scripture, it talks about us waiting patiently for God. In verse, actually verse 1 of Psalms 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. That phrase, waited patiently, means to bind together, perhaps by twisting. Amen? So are you twisted all up in God or people? Amen? Hallelujah. So we're going to wait until next week and start with that. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's all rise and give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity once again to come before your presence in song. And we thank you, Father, for the proclamation that we made before we started singing, Lord, that, hallelujah, everything in that passage of Scripture relating to you, Father, First of all, we thank you for the attributes that we were pro- proclaiming. Father, even as it relates to us, we thank you, Lord, for what it means in terms of our lives. We praise and thank you, Father, for the songs we sang, Lord, that you would, um, even if we're going through trials and tribulations, Father, those words, Father, as it came, comes back to us in need during the week, Lord, let it edify us and encourage us, Father. Even the revelation you gave me to share in between songs, Father, hallelujah, just let that come back to our remembrance, Father, that we would speak praise in advance, hallelujah, to cultivate the fields at our head. And it doesn't matter whether or not they are barren, Father, or desert places. You have power through your word, Father, hallelujah, to bring forth, to break forth, hallelujah, the ground. I even just reminded, Father, in your word, it says that Judah ploweth. Hallelujah. The word Judah means praise. So if Judah, if Judah ploweth, that means that praise ploweth. So praise plows the barren and even rocky fields that are in front of us. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, that we would speak to those things and speak, that they would be cultivated, that they would be seeded, that they would be watered and, and fertilized, and that they would grow Hallelujah, abundantly. We thank you, Father, for this, not only for ourselves, but for others. And, Father, even as we reflect on this second week of waiting patiently for you, Father. If there's things that we haven't seen manifested yet, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, that we continue to profess faith. If there's been any negative thoughts in our minds, Lord, we ask you to purge them from us. And, Father, if we've messed up and spoken something, Father, unintentionally or intentionally, Lord, right now we repent of it, Lord. And, Father, we thank you, Father, to place us back on that battlefield, being victorious in mindset. And being confident, Father, that you, hallelujah, you will produce fruit, hallelujah. Even as Carol said, to, to see those things, th- let those things be th- as though they were, even though they haven't manifested yet, hallelujah. We praise you, Father, for those things that are unseen to be manifested. And we just thank and praise you. We give you the glory, the honor, and praise, Father, for these things. So give us a blessed week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.